Hello everyone, it's Pete here and welcome again to EdTech Innovators. Before we start, do you mind if I ask you, what are you wearing today? The reason for the invasion of privacy is because today we're talking to Anina Nat. Anina Nat is an expert in fashion and robotics and wearable tech. And it's that that's informed her interest in EdTech. You will enjoy this. It's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, 360, for example, we have um, wireless charging wallets uh, in two different uh, styles uh, in 18 different colors, including hot pink mirror fabric. Um, and we have a, a smart notification ring, which is uh, for sending notifications out, such as a help message with your geolocation, and receiving messages in, uh, such as uh, when you want to focus, you only want to receive certain messages, so you can block out others and uh, be notified uh, when that special call comes in, for example. Uh, and then we have illuminated jewelry, which uh, a lot of Burning Man people used to buy and still buy, but uh, as there's no Burning Man this year, um, uh, actually you think about illuminated clothing and you think about social distancing, uh, actually you can see a really good purpose there because if you can visually see uh, someone, you know, lit up, uh, you can judge the distance better. Mm. And then we're also building a, a drink bot robot, which should be ready any day now. A and drink uh, bot. The, the drink bot robot connects to a, a smart hotel jacket and the smart hotel jacket connects to the smart hotel systems. It's kind of like the leg bone connected to the iPhone, you know, um, but yeah, that's sort of a chain so that uh, hotel managers can um, easily change the lighting, the sound, uh, send a message, and also call a drink bot to come bring you a drink to those, you know, really hot and sweaty uh, customers. So uh, okay. basically inserting electronics, you know, into clothing. And then, of course, being an advocate with all of our 360 fashion and tech exhibition, which tours the world uh, and uh, events to educate and, uh, yeah, mm. attract more people because in the future, we're going to need all that. Well, yes, in, in, indeed. Are you involved in, in the physical robots? I'm just really fixating on this drink bot thing because it sounds amazing. So it, is it the physical robot that you're involved in or just the device that will trigger that physical robot? No, no, building the robot too, yeah. He has seven cameras and he has AI and recognizes humans. And, um, and so uh, the thing is, is that most robots, when you look at them, they look like scary ghost figures or the Michelin man, or they look like washing machines on wheels. They're really, really ugly. And so um, we actually uh, got as a group uh, a uh, European grant to build a high design luxury robot and also uh, the jacket. And uh, we got slowed down because of the supply chain, but uh, 
any day now, it should be ready. And um, DrinkBot is reminiscent of a 1920s uh, drink shaker robot, uh, or Love not it. a robot, but a drink shaker um, uh, bar. Mm. And, uh, you know, far more suitable for uh, luxury hotels and luxury experiences. And the other thing about it is that everything that I build uh, is built in a modular way mm. because uh, sustainability and circular um, circular fashion is really important in the sense that um, you know everything that we send out uh, in theory uh, fashion is short for 360 Fashion Network, um, which is a company that excels in innovation. We build wearable tech. Uh, I'm building a robot right now. We do events like diversity meets technology. Uh, and uh, personally, I'm always up for promoting women to get into tech. And so one of our products is our 360 Fash Tech Maker Kits. And those are snap together IoT kits uh, for um, fashion designers, AKA uh, lots of women to learn how to create smart clothing and uh, yeah, be attracted to a career in uh, building the future. We need to be able to either, you know, pull out a part of it, like in the jacket, if it needs to be maintenance, you don't want to throw away the whole jacket. You just want to pull out the part that um, is uh, not functioning properly and swap it out, uh, hot swap it out for, you know, another, um, another piece so the actual jacket stays in in place and uh and just the part gets swapped out and the same thing with the robot it's built in such a way that um, it can fully deconstruct uh and be unscrewed and detached and put in a luggage so if you're an event um, person and you want to tour around with this robot to help you uh, serve people uh, then uh, fits in a fits in a special luggage we have and it can qualify as luggage to go on a plane. So you actually can carry it with you. And that um, means also that you're reducing carbon emissions because you're not shipping that thing, you know, tons and tons uh, uh, all across country, et cetera. I guess take it on a plane with you and a couple of clothes. And uh, not only that, but the way we built it is that um, the whole thing can be customized without um having to you know create a new frame and a this and that every every piece on it uh actually could be again swapped out uh for a different material uh it could be bamboo if you want a, a bamboo look uh, if you have a tropical kind of a hotel so the whole idea is really uh with everything that we build to be able to either um swap it out in a modular way recycle it or um, get it back and spruce it up and send it out again, you know? So that's sort of the, the thinking behind uh, because yeah, we don't really wanna be filling up our landfills with lots of um, electronical stuff for no reason.
especially not discarded robots. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you're in the right place, of course, aren't you, for robot development, for AI development as well. Um, so I, I, somebody I know who was living in Beijing, uh, as, as you are, um, told me about um, an experience that they had in a hotel where they uh, asked for their passport to be collected. So the, the guy on the hotel said, can I have your passport, please? I said, yeah, all right, when, when will I get it back? He said, our servant will give it to you. And he thought, well, you have servants in your hotel? This, this, this is not good, right? So then about an hour later, there was um, a message on the computer screen and he opened up the door and it said, your servant has your passport. This robot was there. And um, then, of course, they just, it just really pressed my tummy and the, 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 the passport just went out of the robot. And so, I mean, that technology is very much already there and very functional, isn't it? And that's really, must be reassuring, really reassuring to know that, that... Um, this kind of technology is is pretty well established really isn't it and and works well um you know my robotic partner uh he's a phd in that area uh, actually uh, the development was between the ai in um san francisco and then um slovenia you wouldn't believe but slovenia is actually the place uh where you have an incredible amount of developers and um, it's, it's an incredible place to uh, build prototypes and so on. So we built prototypes in Europe. And then of course, uh, China is the place where you, if you wanna go to mass manufacture and uh, creating something that can be duplicated uh, is definitely the, the place to go because of the efficiency and the machinery that's available here. So uh, actually it was a cross-continental, um, project because yeah any kind of fashion technology or any type of um, future development really in my experience I always have very diverse teams from around the world because uh, yeah like uh, our CAD guy is in Argentina and uh, you know I'm really used to working in a very decentralized manner although we do have our lab here and uh, you know fashion uh, and engineering, uh, hardware engineering is here, uh, but oftentimes there's just not really the perfect and most expert person in your back door. So uh, I would rather work with the best of the best and 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 have them be remote uh, than to uh, you know try to cobble something together uh, locally. It really depends because there's amazing talent everywhere everywhere in the world that's for sure and passionate people on every level but people kind of laugh when they see my team we have people from sri lanka we have people from western africa we have chinese we have uh, slovenian <laughs> we have british uh, german so diversity is really uh, the mother of invention. It it uh, it really takes so many people with incredible uh, backgrounds, also their perspectives, to create innovative products. Uh, and so that's you know part of why I do that online conference because um, I truly believe that if people have diverse teams and if they make the effort, uh, they will be rewarded thousand times over. Uh, so many times. Um, my uh, uh, engineers, because they're from Western Africa, they will see something or know something uh, because 
they grew up in in a different culture and they'll have a, a, a way better idea about something than I did uh, or my designer you know uh, who's Chinese she's so good at not only designing but business and she's always coming up with a very clear and targeted um, audience and and thinks through my harebrained ideas about and really refines them so uh, I encourage everyone to uh, hire diverse and uh, and definitely have diverse friends um, and, uh, and and live a diverse life lifestyle it's the spice of life yes and you, you always have fresh perspectives which make you challenge your own uh, ideas and beliefs and creativity too so that's that's really good to hear um do you mind if i ask why uh, china as a, as a base for you and uh, and what is your where is your uh, background where you've where have you been brought up yeah so i'm german american uh, first generation american and uh grew up uh, a lot of the time in germany and uh, have all, all German family and nobody from anywhere else except grandmother. I think she's English Irish. Um, aside from that, uh, I grew up in Northern Michigan and, uh, and then uh, very quickly left there because of the very small mentality, to be honest with you, uh, in Traverse City, Michigan. They, they just don't really think globally, you know? And, and that's very common of many um, American uh, towns, whereas I came already from an international background. I grew up on airplanes uh, as a kid being shuffled back and forth uh, between the United States and having the, the pleasure to go live with my grandparents in Germany every summer. And so I had, and I spoke German. Uh, and I always am very grateful, although I, I tried to fit in, but I didn't. Uh, in, in high school, junior highs, and, and all the schools. Uh, I did try to fit in, but I just, you know, in that small town, they just really did not accept anything outside of white, white, and more white. So um, they just couldn't understand my global point of view, because probably many of them hadn't even been on airplanes. But um, the few friends that I did have they were very much like me. Either they were Native American uh, Indians, so they were outcasts too, uh, outliers. I like to use that that term, uh, and uh, uh, or they were the the only uh, person of color, you know. And uh, and we all just sort of banded together, uh, and and we got on the internet. And the thing was is that on the internet uh, at that time, you really could just be yourself because there wasn't this um, physical judgment. And uh, instead, uh, lots of people, you know, who, who go into chat rooms and who poke around and who try to hack things and take things apart, they're often very curious people and uh, they try to, you know, learn new things. And so we were all kind of learning together. And that's where I really think the roots of online learning happen is really today in, um, you know, Facebook groups, when I don't know how to do something, so many people are willing to help me, right? And uh, networks online, uh, asking for advice, and so on. And I think in many ways, uh, as you see also that seems like everybody in their, and their IE, everybody in their 
their auntie has a, a course coming out, you know, teaching all different kinds of new skills that we need for this day and age for communication and uh, for collaboration and also, you know, just to up our own skills. So I think it's such an exciting time. I'm always enrolled in like five courses online at the same time and, uh, and get through about half of them and then pick them up later mm. and uh yeah i just really feel that this international background uh gave me that ability but uh, there is one thing that differentiated me also from my family they were all computer engineers mm. and uh, i they had high hopes for me <laughs> and i sorely disappointed them when uh i decided to become a fashion model and i mm. took a left as zoolander says at the runway <laughs> and uh, who wouldn't who would pass up a chance to go to Paris and walk the catwalks? And who would pass up the chance to be on the cover of magazines? You know, those early icons of fashion models play a very important role in young women's lives. Those are often the first icons that we see that show women in a powerful, beautiful, um, desirable and, uh, and uh, perspective that, that makes us think like, oh, I wanna be that too, right? Because every, every person would like to be appreciated, admired, and um, sought after and, uh, and good at their job, right? Mm -hmm. So those icons are extremely important. And uh, throughout my career, I, I always realized that I was very blessed with this gigantic megaphone, you know? Uh, I did four times the worldwide campaign of gas jeans, and that was an experience, because like, I would be sitting on the bus looking at myself. I'd get on the subway, and there'd be a poster of me. I'd walk up to a magazine stand, and there'd be like 16 magazines with my face on it. You know, I'd walk through the streets or, or get in a taxi and there would be billboards of me everywhere. I got off the plane <laughs> oftentimes in China um, and, uh, and, and I would be greeted by me and me and more of me everywhere. <laughs> and so it's very important that if you have that opportunity that you decide what is your message and what it is you want to shove down that pipe. Uh, because it really will uh, affect and change the world. And so I decided that technology and women uh, were really the thing that I wanted to leave the world with in a better place. And uh, I came to China simply because I could not find any single fashion brand in the whole Western world that wanted to do anything with tech. You know, I pioneered mobile blogging in 2004 with Nokia Corporation. I geolocated fashion photos on maps with uh, um, uh, France Telecom. I um, live streamed uh, uh, from every single major fashion show, uh, you know, on mobile with Vodafone to 1.3 million people. And uh, I created e-commerce platforms for young designers to go online. And all along the way, the fashion industry was like, who would download an app? Mm. Why do I need to put my clothes in 3D? Who would ever 
ever download a virtual Prada bag? You gotta be kidding, on an avatar? Who has avatars, you know? And I would never sell my clothes online. That would demean my brand. And uh, let's not even talk when I started getting into AR, VR, 3D printing, smart garments. You know, I just kept getting no, 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 until China. Right. Okay. So the, the, the this uh, helped reverse the march of the laggards, as, as it were. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So really, it's a spiritual home for you in terms of um, you being surrounded by more people who think the way that you do and uh, and live in the future, as it were. Do you do you feel as though you do live in the future? You know, uh, I think that it has to do a lot with culture, right? When you have a rich history of culture, like in Europe or a, lo a long history, like in America, like this is how we do it. That's the mentality. This is how we've always done it. This is how we'll do it. And we shall continue to do it because it works for us, right? But when you come to an emerging market, like at the time and the Olympics, you have to remember like just a hop, skip and a jump ago, <laughs> you know, Sunley Tune was like some open market where they sold like, you know, shoes just like in the Middle Eastern way, you know, and now it's this huge, incredible shopping conglomerate, you know, and, and that's what happens when you have no background, it enables you to leapfrog forward, you know, who in Africa even knows what a rotary phone is like nobody had that they went straight to mobile you know they just leapfrogged over that because they, they came and had nothing and so then like this insurgence of technology came so of course they were just like whoop, jumped over that and the same thing in china it was absolutely amazing because they came from nothing everything was new and they wanted to try everything and they went so much from their feeling you know, I remember sitting in the room with uh, uh, the China National Garment Association and they're like, what do you really do? <laughs> and I was like, I'm a fashion model by day, but I do technology at night. And so I showed them all my, my smart technology and they were like, we do not understand this, but we feel it is the right direction. <laughs> and with them together, you know, I created with inside of the China Chic, the largest national trade show, a huge pavilion to educate and teach the fashion industry about new technology. And I really had like, you know, pretty much carte blanche to build an experience because I knew that if I'm just there with like a video and a PowerPoint, nobody will be able to imagine what the future will look like. Instead, if I built a shop, you know, even if the shop is a cube, you know, like a mini shop, uh, and someone can walk in and they're handed a mobile phone and they can walk around and scan things and they can use AR and they can point it, you know, at a picture on the wall and shop, suddenly they can start to imagine how this technology can be implemented into their real stores right and how they can use it in their real campaigns and and also then uh, i was asked to expand my exhibitions to the um beijing um design week and uh it was seven uh 751 d park that offered me the space to be able to create again huge experiences for the creative industries uh to be able to use high tech um you know machinery that they normally wouldn't 
have contact with. And I'm extremely grateful to Tier Time, which is an amazing 3D printing company uh, with uh, incredible leadership. Uh, they loaned us uh, million dollar 3D printers and uh, home printers so that you know we could come, people could come and 3D print things. And then we had set up whole rooms of 3D scanners and had you know the 3D scanning expert uh, companies there that then would work with artists. So artists could walk in to the 3D festival and they would have scanners and 3D um, modelers and they would have 3D printers and then they could you know create right there and that enabled them to know how they could incorporate these technologies into their you know very traditional methods of making things you know suddenly a potter came in and he was creating new kinds of pottery that just wouldn't be possible uh, you know with uh, modern you know hand crafting techniques so I it was very exciting and and we had workshops and so that's where my love for educating people comes in uh, is really like training educating giving them new skills because I, I believe that is the path for them to have jobs of the future so tell us more about your, your work with encouraging women to, um, to use technology and to, and to, and to develop their, uh, to learn more about technology. Yeah, it was so exciting. Last year, uh, we have our robotic dress kit. No jokes. <laughs> right? Like robotic, full on, like transformer, right? And yeah. so we were, we, we tested the kit because, you know, I can only think so far and I need more people to think because maybe I forgot something, et cetera. And I did, of course. <laughs> and uh, we tested it out on three designers and uh, they just created incredible stuff. Um, there's a designer based in New York, Claire Tattersall. Uh, she created three dresses. Uh, one has a robotic hood that um, comes up and down. So you can imagine uh, if you don't have any arms, right? And uh, it has a sensor for light or for humidity. Your hood could come up or down to uh, shade you or protect you from the rain, right? And she had another dress, amazing dress, uh, that had some metal leaves as ornaments on the shoulders, but uh, they would shake and jitter and, and make a sound, like a musical sound, uh, whenever someone would come near. And the concept there was, you know, around women's safety, uh, that if, you know, someone approached too quickly from behind, you would have something on your garment that would alert you. And third, she just had this amazing petal dress uh, where uh, the skirt were all these um, sort of like long petals and with the click of a button, it would roll up into a mini skirt. Really fantastic. <laughs> and then we had uh, Azrael Yang, and she created a collection based on the ocean. Uh, because uh, if we are more connected to our environment, and you know, you can imagine if you were wearing something, and uh, and say that the, um, let's just say that the ocean. Uh, is is extremely important to you, the pollution levels of the ocean, right? And so um, all the dresses have a, a plethora of sensors in them and they move in a certain way. 
And so when the movements of the dress, there's a dress called seaweed, you know, and it just sways like this. But when like there's a, a you know, a disturbance or the pollution levels get high, then they start moving in very erratic ways. So that means that, you know, in, a, in an artistic sense, again, the, the, the wearer could become aware and have an alert that, you know, hey, wow, I need to start calling my congressman and, you know, making some noise because, uh, yeah, something's wrong really, really bad right now. Maybe there was an oil spill or something like that, right? And uh, she had another dress called um, the jellyfish. And uh, when you, again, you approach, uh, the, the dress would like, you know, create a cocoon and pop up. And uh, the third dress she created is called fishtail. And again, it was just this idea that, you know, there were these um, um, beautiful gauze, like a fishtail, you know, iridescent uh, flaps, for lack of a better word. Um, and they would gently be sort of undulating, uh, you know, around. And uh, the idea is if they started moving very erratic, again, you would know that, you know, something was not right in our environment. And, and the real concept behind was to test if these designers could actually use the kits to create something, you know, and in fact, they did, they created uh, incredible statement pieces mm. and uh, and we have a third designer uh, Mikhail um, Starost and uh, he created three laser dresses which uh, light up and shoot lasers everywhere which are super beautiful so again the idea was uh, to test whether or not fashion designers could create with technology and then of course the idea of the kits is to give them the tools to be able to um, learn how to integrate electronics into clothing, because there are jobs of the future for that, you know? Uh, in health tech, for example, right now, this is kind of a, a proof of why do we need sensors in clothing? And uh, also sports tech, you know, being able to put uh, accelerometers and um, other kind of sensors into clothing for health purposes. And then, of course, you know, when we get it back around to it, entertainment tech was always a, a really great uh, industry, you know, uh, lots of performances on stage or theater or um, even, you know, uh, amazing uh, places like Glastonbury festivals and so on, you know, mm -hmm. needing to create costumes. So, uh, so yeah, I think that fashion tech is a great way. And it tends to be that women, uh, not totally, but women are primarily attracted to uh, the industries that create beauty or that, you know, use their hands, sewing. Um, seems like every, every young girl wants to make a, a dress at some point, you know? And the question is, you know, why does it mean that, uh, you know, that they have to fall away from that, they could keep it and then they could continue and learn to, to make more. So we have this beginner kit called the uh, LED beret kit uh, and we have a, 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 another kit uh, and they use a, an e-textile and it's sort of the entry level kit. And I actually go around the world teaching 
uh, worldwide with the multiple different governments. I educate their fashion industries on how to integrate electronics into them. And I was uh, brought to Mongolia by the Goethe Institute and the Allier Francais uh, to teach 15 Mongolian fashion designers and the fashion design school how to integrate electronics into clothing. And they brought in also a French, um, a French uh, a fashion technologist. And we had very different styles. Like her clothing was amazing in that if you tilted sideways or you moved around, it did a lot of things. My clothing used uh, our LED ribbon, which just uh, light on, light off. But the difference was is that uh, on the garment construction. So for example, every piece of clothing that came out of my workshop was a prototype ready to go to a factory and get turned into a product, like beautifully sewn uh, inside, all the electronics, uh, were able to be removed and reinserted, like the whole process thought through. So they weren't really sophisticated in terms of, uh, you know, having sensors and so on in them, but they were very sophisticated in the terms of what was made and what was made could actually be sold. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the other educator, her things were extremely sophisticated in terms of what could they do and programming and so on. But when you looked under the hood, there was like a big mess down there. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the middle is the, is the middle. Like if she and I did a, did a class together, you can imagine I would work first with the designers to create the garments and the construction. And then afterwards, they can then be programmed up. So, you know, it's really... I, I call myself the 101. If you don't know how to put it in, you can't go further. But if you know how to put it in, then programming is pretty easy to learn. So um, that's the, uh, my evil plan for getting more women in tech. Mwahaha. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, mean, but, I mean, it's the most logical, logical thing in the world, isn't it? Because however you look, your clothes are always working for you. So why not get them to work harder? and do things that could benefit your health or you know, improve the environment and everything else. So uh, it, 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 for, for people who are, oh, we mentioned laggards or the late majority or whoever, people who are, are sort of late developers in terms of um, you know, embracing technology, um, it, that should make perfect sense to them, shouldn't it really? Well, here's my question to you. Yes, why do you think that, why, why not? Do you think that, that the world hasn't woken up to smart garments and clothing? You answer me, because I'm waiting. Mm, absolutely. Um, I could only speculate, Anina. Um, one reason could be that people just, don't, that people wrongly just don't see clothes as something that is a high-tech thing, even though, there's high tech involved in the design of them and the marketing of them, everything, at every step of the way, there is, there is you know, cutting edge technology involved in fashion. So why, why don't people make that leap into what you've been talking about? You know, why can't their clothes work, work for you and monitor your um, heart, heart rate and um, health and so many different things? I mean, it can, they can do anything because the technology is so small, of course, you know, that, that, that your, your clothes can do anything you want them to, can't they? Um, so I, I would agree, but there's there's some, you know, still some parts that you have to think through carefully. Hmm. Uh, I think it's also habitude. Uh, for example, uh, people are used to 
you know, throwing away their clothes. They're used to um, not treating their clothes as precious items. You have to remember in the 1800s, people only had one or two outfits. You know what I mean? So darn right, they treated those things to last forever, right? Yeah. But now we're in this disposable fashion era where it's like, you know, my closet is filled with stuff, but I really only wear four or five things, right? Mm. And so uh, you have to ask yourself, you know, uh, first of all, if clothing did come in that was high tech, you know, would we be able to treat it properly or would we be broken all the time? I remember uh, when uh, the Fitbit came out, you know, every people kept throwing them in the, in the washing machine and breaking them and having to buy a new one. I, this is like a common thing that I always heard. I did that. Uh, another thing I hear is that uh, people don't know the proper use of them, right? You, if you, just as an example, if you have an amazing, sophisticated microphone, but you don't know how to turn it on, or it's just going to sit there on the shelf, right? And mm -hmm. you're going to be like, that's useless, right? And if you're not used to turning on the microphone before using it, then you're never going to actually be able to figure out the real use. So it's, it's really an educational process. Hence, that's why uh, having events online and teaching online and training people online and hacking online mm. is, uh, I think, extremely important uh, because, you know, locally, there may not be lots of people interested in your subject matter, but mm. globally, there are. Do you have any idea in the last month? It's crazy. I have been getting bombarded with at least 10 people contacting me per week from Africa mm. wanting my kits. And Why? they hound me when I don't answer. They find me on Instagram. I have someone contacting me on Facebook. Then they email me and they're like, we want your kits. And mm. I was like, wow. okay, you know? Yeah. And again, think that through because mm. Africa is going through a renaissance. They need mm this type of technology really fast. They need to leapfrog ahead, right? Mm. And there's also an incredible technology community in Africa because of, you know, employment from Google, from, um, you know, Amazon, from IBM, from large scale corporations who have been using low cost labor to train their AI. Uh, that's where it all comes from. There's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of people down there and they're going, this is a banana, you know, banana, you know, and they're doing the data sets for the AI. Mm. And, uh, and so you've got an entire countries, multiples of countries, highly educated. And now, now they're being hit by something just like we're all getting hit. But now they're like, wow, we need to leapfrog ahead. It's a, you know, China's, I mean, Africa is the next China, you know mm. what I mean? And uh, it's, it's extremely exciting how technology will become ubiquitous everywhere. And I believe everyone should have access to it. He who wants, you know, mm. and uh, that's why teaching online is so important. Mm. But then we come to the next problem. The tools mm. are not there, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. With sorely lacking online, right? For mm. multiples of reasons. I, I'd love to hear your experience. Uh, I, you know, I was in uh, China when, uh, when the pandemic hit 
And, uh, you know, 1.3 billion people had to learn how to work online, had to mm. teach online. Little tiny chuplet kids had to learn how to, like, go online. You know, everybody got this massive software download. And, uh, and, and let's look at what, let's, let's de deconstruct that. What happened? Well, a lot of IEs or aunties who, who no longer could see their grandchildren or their cousins, you know, they found out that their computers totally didn't work or their phones yeah. were too old. So first thing that happened is everybody had to upgrade their um, computer equipment, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, there was no getting online, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was an opportunity for new technology to come in. So what was interesting there, what I observed is um, that people started buying touchscreen computers mm. right i mean why do you need a mouse when you could just boop, touch the screen like what there is logic in that it's so much more ergonomic i mean you get like mouse shoulder and uh and uh you know carpal tunnel syndrome from using a mouse and sitting at a desk so you know if i can just touch the screen what do i need a mouse for right and it's amazing uh all these little chuplets these little kids how quickly they learned how to like draw on the screen with Zoom. I consulted for a company to help them get online. And at first, like the kids just really did not know what was going on. They were like, why are we doing this? You know, and I want to go outside and play, right? Mm -hmm. But then by about the third week, all of a sudden you'd be in the class and suddenly this yellow would be like scratched all over the screen because they suddenly discovered the annotation tools and you mm. would be like uh please don't draw on the screen you know mm. but they write on the screen and they draw on the screen and uh now they can even collaborate on the screen but extremely rapidly and they all had ipads instead of computers you know so there was just this incredible tech upgrade but then also this educational upgrade of how do we use these tools mm -hmm. and then we watched on instagram right that like everybody and their mother had a workout program on instagram right but while you were like looking at this tiny phone and you tried to like prop it up but then you had to get far enough away to like actually do the exercise, you're like halfway across the room, right? And, and you couldn't even see the phone anymore, right? Mm. And so uh, then people started getting and upgrading their home entertainment systems, yep. right? Because mm -hmm. that uh. needed to happen in order to have a better experience there. So yeah, like huge television screens and they got cameras that you could attach on top of those television screens, like that mm. Facebook camera that tracks you, right? So it actually follows you. So it means that as you move around, uh, the person on the other side is actually following you. So what does that mean? That means you can multitask. It means you can walk around the room or you can jog or whatever, walk over here and over there and you don't walk off camera, right? So again, once that all the new hardware gets put into place, online teaching is going to get way more exciting uh, because people will feel like, oh, I don't have to sit at a desk. I can actually stand up and move back because my screen is big enough. I can still see you when I'm halfway across the room and like see you, right? And I can use my whole body to teach you rather than this finite, oh, I'm in a square type of situation. So it's very interesting to me 
how teaching online uh, has evolved in the last few months and also the tools for doing online events. Uh, I'm even experimenting with uh, interactive video that I showed you. Yes, which, which is fascinating, of course, yeah. Um, I mean, th I think obviously online events are being revolutionized. So I, I've been involved in Remo. There's very much, there's, there's a, such a variety of platforms out there, aren't there? So you can have virtual tables, for example, and um, you can work through a kind of um, virtual speed dating kind of type of uh, scenario uh, too. But you can also bring people to a virtual stage as well. But no, no buffet. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, the free food. But see, that's where I just had a Hack Fashion Week uh, hackathon uh, where we hacked on what does a Fashion Week event look like. And it's very interesting. Again, you know, I, I don't really see a difference because I guess I live online. But um, it used to be that we would be a person and go to an event and have an offline together experience, right? And then at that event, there would be a, a, a touch screen television with an online solo experience, right? You would touch it and then you take a picture and it would like send you an email or you would interact with something and draw on it, but it was a solo online experience and a together offline experience, right? Mm -hmm. But now we are having a solo offline experience and a together online experience. Mm. And that's where, um, you know, the tools haven't evolved quite enough yet, but they're on their way. Like you said, the speed dating, we had that also in my hack fashion week, you know, uh, the tools are coming and, you know, we've got XR, we've got AR and so on and interactive video and, and, and whatnot, you know, but, uh, but definitely it's just a different way of thinking. So for example, I forget the name of the designer. What he did was he sent a fashion show in a box to everyone and then they would unpack the box and then they would have an online experience. So then they would go online and then the things in there would interact like they hold up uh, something or other and it would trigger an experience to the camera to happen with AR, for example, you know? Mm. So again, you know, you could have the buffet, there are wine tastings and so on, but then you are couriering around to everyone the, the buffet. I have heard of dinners happening and so on online. You're couriering around uh, rather. So it's a decentralized um, offline experience with a centralized online experience. This has been one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had, Anina. And uh, I could, I, nah. honestly, it's, it's brilliant. So. And, um, and it's, it's been a real privilege to, to speak to you. Um, and I, I will speak to you again uh, soon, I, I should hope. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, please From your me. spaceship. From my spaceship. <laughs> your, your spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I haven't quite sorted out my backdrop yet because uh, the, the, it, there's another technical issue, isn't it really? Because the green screen needs to work properly. And it doesn't, does it? It's usually a disappointment. But um, but yeah, that, that's... But again, I love that you are in your, your spaceship there because it does look like a spaceship. It is I a wouldn't spaceship. know where you are, you know? Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're in your spaceship, you know? And, and that's also really cool, you know, if you think about mm. like those 
drive-through movie viewings, right? Absolutely. Everybody's in their car and then they're having a together solo experience, right? There you go. And, yeah. uh, you know, it seems like everybody is getting a green screen at home, right? Mm. Because now we need to have some kind of a backdrop in mm. order to, you know, give a better experience online. Mm. And, uh, I don't know about your chuplets, but uh, those little kids in the school that I consulted for, um, I'm telling you by week two, they all had their backdrops working. They were in space and some of them were sitting in the, in the, in the forest and uh, you know, often of them were like on the beach and <laughs> yes, absolutely. it was really interesting. They were having class uh, in another experience. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. th th there's mine at the moment. Not, not exactly perfect, but uh, yeah, work in progress, as, as, as we know. Um, right. So sa thank you so much. I've really, really, really appreciated the time that you've taken to, to speak to us today in my drive through podcast. <laughs> and I, will speak to, I will speak to you again soon, but you take care of yourself and um, yeah, just have a, have a great uh, rest of the day. What, what are you doing next today, by the way? Oh, working on my conference so i've got lots of people to meet also and lots of backdrops to troubleshoot so yes. <laughs> same thing but actually you look really really cool and artistic so never underestimate the the i like to call it the um the fractalization of uh, me, but now it's the fractalization of you. It's very interesting what computers do when interacting, you know, with uh, with you right mm. now. Like mm. you look so cool, actually, like <laughs> '70s art. So, you know, I I just want to encourage everyone out there who's an educator who might be grappling with, uh, yeah, this whole online thing. It's not you. It's that the um, the hardware hasn't been updated yet mm. by everyone, so it's not you. Mm. And uh, secondly, I want to encourage you to try new things all the time, and don't be afraid to look like awesome, cool art like you look like <laughs> right now, even if your backdrop isn't working. I, I'm and not just afraid, to have really. more fun online. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank, thank you, you and so uh, thank you, my, my pleasure. And uh, we shall uh, speak again um, very soon. That is, I'm afraid. Sorry there was no podcast last week. I was away in Ibiza. I actually got away. How lucky am I? I've been back now and it's raining a lot. But we'll be back next week for more EdTech Innovators. Until then, take care, see you later.